Hi, my name is Lakundo, part of the leadership team here at King's Church, and I'm going to be continuing in our series on the study of the letter to the Galatians. Now, so far, we have learned that the gospel is for all humanity. It's not just for a particular ethnic or people group. So it's not about following certain customs or traditions or living under the law, but it's by faith in Jesus that we are made right with God and that we join in the family of God's people. We learned last week or last time, depending on when you're watching this, Judith did an amazing job of explaining how the law was our guardian for a period of time, keeping us in line until Jesus came, fulfilling the law on our behalf so that by putting our faith in him, we are then made right with God. And so I want to encourage you, if you have missed any of the previous episodes, to go back and listen, have a read through your study guide, and just be enriched by all that this letter has to offer us. And so let's continue now in chapter 4. Now the structure of chapter 4 is somewhat of a sandwich. The argument continues from chapter 3, because like Judith said, The chapters were only introduced for our benefit, but in the original letter, there were no chapters. It was just one letter. And so following on from chapter three to the first few verses of chapter four, and then the final chapters of chapter four, Paul argues his point. He explains from scripture the truth of what he's trying to put across. But sandwiched in the middle, he changes his tone and appeals to their emotions. Now, good communicators know it's important to both give logic and reason, but also to appeal to the listener's emotion. And this is what Paul does in this chapter. So let's dive in and look at the first layer of this sandwich. And we're going to read from chapter 3 and verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? 
whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that I have labored over you in vain. So here Paul uses the language of sons and slaves. The son when he is underage is no different from the slave because he is still under a guardian. They were slaves under the guardian of the law up until the point where Jesus came. Now for the Gentiles who weren't necessarily under the law because the law wasn't given to them, Paul says that in the same way you were slaves to the elementary spirits of the world, which could mean your logic of life, of living, or whether it was that they worshipped the sun, the moon, other deities and spirits or angels, but they were living under a way of life or other religions that wasn't the way of God, basically paganism. And so Paul is saying, whether you were enslaved to the law or you were enslaved under paganism, essentially he was saying, if you're still living under the law, it's like you're living under paganism, that you are enslaved to that and you are still slaves in that. But because Jesus has come and he has given us his spirit, we are no longer slaves, no longer under the law, under paganism, but we are under his grace and he has given us his spirit so we can be called sons and we can cry out, Abba, Father, no longer slaves, but now sons and heirs in Christ Jesus of God, full access to the Father and his kingdom and all that he has for us. So he encourages them. Why would you then want to remain as slaves when Christ has set you free? And then in the second part of the sandwich, the bottom part, if we go and read from verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So Paul again is using the language of sonship and slavery, but in a slightly different way this time. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would bear forth a son and so that from Abraham, he would become a multitude of nations. But they got impatient when it seemed like the promise was waning and took matters into their own hands. Abraham got Sarah's slave Hagar pregnant and Ishmael was born. 
So Ishmael here corresponds to a son of the flesh. He was born of a slave woman of human effort, whereas Isaac was born of a free woman and the divine promise of God, the intervention of God. And so Ishmael represents living under slavery, under the law of, of earthly Jerusalem, whereas Isaac represents freedom, living under a new covenant, being born again from a heavenly Jerusalem. And so Paul even refers to Old Testament prophecy that speaks to Jerusalem. Though you are barren, you will have plenty of children. And that signifies the new people of God, multitudes and multitudes of generations and ethnicities because of the promise of God, not because of the works of the law. And so he uses this imagery again to contrast and say, don't live as though Ishmael, as though under an old covenant as a slave, but the true sons and daughters of God are those who live according to the promise, who are born again of above by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not in the works of the law. And so that's the top and the bottom of our sandwich. And then we move to the filling, what's in between. And like we said before, Paul changes his tone. So he switches from argument to appealing to their emotions. He uses real emotive language still to get his point across. And so let's pick it up from verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed by you. Paul is expressing deep emotion and he is appealing to them. He's appealing to them, not just from a point of logic now, but from a point of relationship and emotion. And it reminds me this change of tone and, and the significance of sometimes when I'd done something wrong growing up as a child, my parents would sit me down and give me the lecture and this is what you did wrong this is why it's wrong this is the consequences of what you've done and how are you going to change for the future and etc and so it goes on but there were other times where probably i'd done something that was so wrong they didn't have the energy and they would simply say we're really disappointed in you now that hit differently like how do you come back from that because it wasn't just the usual lecture it was triggering my emotions and tugging at my heartstrings because it had to do with our relationship my parents were let down by me there was a gravity to this now it, it bypassed just them being right and me being wrong and them older than me and so they have to tell me what to do 
but it went straight to my heart because it dealt with our relationship and how I had severed our trust somewhat. And so it hit differently. And this is similar to what Paul is doing. I remember times when sometimes my mom would say to me, there's an expression she used to use and she'd be like, oh, Hukundo, should I just put you back in my stomach? And that might sound weird, but what she meant by that was, I'd rather keep you in the safety of my womb than have you keep making mistakes and that are ruining your life and not doing you any good. And so I knew it was because she deeply cared for me and she just wanted the best for me. And Paul says, I am in anguish as in childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Again, this aspect of deep care and relationship that he simply wants the best for them. It's not because he wants to prove that he's right and everyone else is wrong, but it's because of his love for them that he is appealing to them on this basis. It's really important that the key here, the foundational principle is that we are called to live in relationship. Arguing from theology and logic will only get us so far. It's good, it's helpful and it's right. But we are those who are called to speak the truth in love. Relationship actually gives us more permission to speak into one another's lives. And it's wise of us to be able to think about what we say, but also how we say the different contexts of relationships in order to get the point across and to see change and to see restoration happen. And Paul does this beautifully here. And so he says to them, when I first came to you, you accepted me. And he seemed to be in a bad shape. We don't know if he was ill or maybe he was beaten up. We knew Paul went through a lot, but that didn't matter to them. He said, you would have gouged your eyes out for me. And that phrase basically means I would do anything for you. So at first you accepted me, even though I was in a rough way, you heard the gospel, you would have done anything for me, but now your behavior has changed. Is it because I'm telling you the truth? I'm trying to get the message across that there are not two separate people groups. What, what my opposers are trying to do is have an inner circle of elite Jewish Christians and an outer circle of non-elite Gentile Christians. And in order to work your way into the inner circle, you need to be circumcised and form all these customs. I plead with you, this is not the truth. This is not the way of Christ because you have been called to live in freedom. And this is the approach he takes. And so there's so much to learn from chapter four in the truth of what Paul argues and explains from scripture, but also in the way that he chooses to do this by appealing to their emotions. Now emotions, obviously we can use this in an abusive way, but we are emotional beings. We're moved by compassion. We're moved when we see injustice and that's how we, we act and respond. And Paul appeals to this aspect in order to have them listen and back into the truth. And so we learn from the truth of the word. We learn from how he communicates. And this is a lot about how we can outwork sharing and growing as God's multi-ethnic group of people, the family of God, bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. And I pray that as you dive deeper into this, this week or in the days to come, that the Holy Spirit would reveal more and more your identity as a son and a daughter of the King and will equip and help you to live in relationship with your brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen.